welcome to this week's episode of Across the Cemetery. My name's Josh. And my name's Emma. And this week, Emma is going to be leading the episode, so I'll let her take it away. So this week we're doing near-death experiences, or NDE is what they referred to in this article, but also article. I'm just going to shorten it. Um, so do you know anything about NDEs? Well, I guess you have to either be very close to it or die to have them. <laughs> yeah, but have you ever experienced it or had like an out-of-body experience at all? No, but I've had a theory on this before you even start looking into this topic. I had a theory on this anyway, so I'll leave that till the end in case you cover it. So there has always been and will always be interest in what happens after we die and what the afterlife entails. And we will never know until we go there ourselves. But what happens when we die and we come back? So I am not talking about zombies, even though I know how much you love the walking dead. I am talking about near-death experiences. Near-death experiences are a fascinating phenomenon that have captured the public for countless years. So from now I'm going to say NDE. So NDE are apparent, intensely vivid and often life-transforming experiences. Many of these experiences occur under extreme physiological conditions, such as deep trauma which seizes brain activity, or even deep deep general anaesthesia or cardiac arrest, in which no awareness or sensory experiences of any kind should be scientifically possible. Thousands of survivors of these harrowing touch-and-go situations tell of leaving their damaged body behind and encountering a realm beyond everyday existence. Unconstrained by the usual boundaries of space and time, these powerful mystical experiences can lead to permanent transformations of their lives. It has been argued that NDEs are apparently due to the imagination, but evidently all experiences of NDEs share familiarities in that they seem to have the same traits. So they become pain-free, they see a bright light at the end of a tunnel, and often visual phenomena such as detaching from one's body and floating above it or even flying off into space. These are primarily known as out-of-body experiences. These might include being visited by loved ones, living or dead, or spiritual beings such as angels, or even a review of lifetime of of memories, which could be both good and bad. So it's sort of like my life flashed in front of my eyes. Those who've experienced NDEs also have said that they experience a distorted sense of time and space. And they all seem to share a common feeling of a loving presence that some call God. But like I said earlier, some say it's long lost families, family members or relatives. So the the people that experience NDEs have also said that they feel a sense of connectedness to all creation. And a sense that all is well. Then they finally get called back away from the magical realm and back into one's body. According to the scientist Michael Talbot in 1991, he said that one of the most interesting aspects of the near-death phenomenon is the consistency one finds from experience to experience. So they all experience similar things, people from different cultures, countries. There are some underlying physiological explanations for these perceptions, such as progressively narrowing tonal vision, 
Reduced blood flow to the visual periphery of the retina means that vision loss occurs there first. In some cases though, such as if they are undergoing surgery, they are able to explain the exact steps that their bodies have been through and the exact tools that their surgeons have used on them. So like I said, there are scientific explanations for NDEs. The explanations vary from scientific to religious and surely NDEs offer a proof of afterlife, don't they? Why do they all have similar experiences? Is that either proof for it or is that like the herd mentality, like similar to what we mentioned last week with the missing people? Oh yeah, yeah, true. So do they just happen to be in a circumstance where they were close to death in a near-death experience, but then they come out the other side with these symptoms that are very similar. Is that because them symptoms just sat in the subconscious, or is yeah. that because they happened? Yeah, true. Um, so do you not think so far that near-death experiences happen? No, but I think being cynical and rational, there's an explanation that can be found that coincides with other things that we've looked at. Very, it, it wasn't planned, but like the one we looked at last week. Yeah. But... It, it seems a bit coincidental that that same phenomenon or that one explanation for people going missing and what they experience also applies to people with near-death ex- experiences. It is a bit weird that you picked that topic last week and then this one, picked, I picked this one. Mm. And like we never planned it, we literally just picked them well, out of the thing. maybe that's evidence it's against what be, I'm saying. Yeah, maybe it's the proven to you, like, no, this is real. Yeah, no, no stop <laughs> being cynical. Yeah, so... um. So, like I said, the surely NDEs offer... N- That's the lawyer in me. <laughs> the NDEs offer proof of an afterlife for the soul, don't they? And despite a large amount of scientific evidence, I would like to think that they are real. But I've got some scientific stuff for you. No, I did not, I'm not going into great detail about the science because I didn't really understand much of it. <laughs> but... Through neuroscience research, scientists have hypothesized that an NDE is a subjective phenomenon resulting from disturbed bodily multisensory integration that occurs during life-threatening events. So the body goes into like a fight or flight mood. Right. So maybe it's like the body's way of calming you down. Yeah, but that might be why we all experience it, because the body, like... The body is just used to that. Like the body's like shit. The brain's dying now. We need to calm them down. So it's like a preset program in every human being. Like instinct, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe those who are having near death experiences trigger the events that need to happen for that program to start. Yeah. But then it was a false alarm, and the program shouldn't have started. Yeah. That's what that is saying essentially. Hmm. Okay. But it wouldn't be a paranormal podcast if we believed science. Science is bullshit. I've proved anything. What does what did he say on twenty one jump streets or twenty two jump streets? Fuck you, science or something. When the high. That was a really really simple fucking (laughs) quote, and you had to really complicate it. Okay, so it wasn't until the eighteenth century that a physician first recorded his own observation and scientific analysis of the phenomenon. Around 1740, the first medical report of an NDE came from a military doctor from northern France. He was called Pierre-Jean de Montreux. Don't mind if I do. 
<laughs> Monchal. I just go and pee. Describes a patient who lost consciousness after having too much blood drawn to treat a fever. The patient later reported that he saw such a pure and extreme light that he thought he was in heaven. And he affirms that he had never in all of his life had a nicer moment. So Pierre speculated that the change in blood flow to the brain caused these strong feelings, comparing it to similar reports of people who had survived drowning, hypothermia and hanging. So do you think it's like a sort of, I know it's just likened it to a programme, but if the brain triggers that, right, we're losing a lot of blood, the body's about to shut down, do you think it's like a natural anaesthetic? The body just sort of like puts you into this state of bliss. Yeah, I think so. Die essentially. Would they say that about like um, childbirth and that? Don't they? Like women go through this pain, but then as soon as they see their baby, they don't remember the pain. Yeah, so that would be like a similar sort of thing. The brain triggers something, some other program, yeah. and says, "Right, you can't feel pain now because you're looking after this child." Yeah, yeah. So I wonder if like you can't feel pain now because you're going, you're about to die. Yeah, so so essentially we're just we're just computers and we've got preset programs and when it, an event happens, these programs trigger. I think that probably is true anyway, because like we all have reactions to certain things. Yeah, so why do we get sad at certain things? Why yeah. do we get happy at certain things? Like we're all programmed, but then some people have loose programs like psychopaths and stuff. Like you know, if you you know the true test, if you yawn at a psychopath and they don't catch the yawn, they are a psychopath. What's your source on that? I read it in a book. Okay. <laughs> I think it was in the psychopath test, you know. Right. Okay, so patients that come back from near-death experiences, although they have similar experiences when experiencing a near-death experience. I know. <laughs> um, a lot of them come back differently. Right, so they change. Yeah, some of them are changed, but I mean the way they come back as well is differently. Like some... Some emerge back in the light and the next moment they were back in the hospital with no sense of a transition. And then other patients have been told, perhaps by their deceased loved ones, that they have to go back. They can't stay with them. Mm -hmm. And then that they have other things to complete. But other patients have said that they were given a choice so they could either stay in the light and continue the experience or return to the life that they currently live in. Um, and most commonly, patients say that they find themselves preferring to stay in the light because they get this sense of overwhelming love and joy, but they usually fight to go back because they have children or they have a spouse. Or Yeah. Those who choose to stay, it must be a really strong feeling if you just get there and think, yeah. you know what, my life was, this is better than my other life, yeah. so I'll stay here. We'll never know. We'll, we will all know one day, but... Maybe. But then, once returned to the land of the living... The patients remark that their near-death experiences have profoundly changed their lives. They say that some of them say that their experience have convinced them that personally there is an afterlife, so they no longer fear death. These patients say that whatever they have been pursuing in their lives before, power, wealth, fame or something else, their experience have convinced them that the most important goal in life is to learn to love. So, once you experience this afterlife or this life all the things that you're like power hungry and that for don't really matter anymore because it's it's just one life like you you're gonna go on to do more things 
and that's not your true like meaning in the world to like make money. Steve Batman. <laughs> but then, also, others report that their experiences did not feel like a dream or a hallucination, but it was often described as more real than real life. And then they were profoundly changed afterwards and they tend to have trouble fitting back into everyday life. So often some will do radical career shifts or they'll even leave their spouses. So that whatever they've done that's not benefiting them, they won't do it anymore. Fair enough. But then, again, because I'm contrasting, not everyone experiences this loveliness. Some recall only a brief out-of-body experience with a view of their own physical body, but they are quickly retained. So they go out and then they come back in. Maybe, like, so maybe that's straight away. Like, no, you're not ready. Yeah, but then that goes against the, you know, the program in the brain arguments. That yeah. means that there's something else out there and that person was so obviously not ready to travel to that place or go to the next step or whatever. Yeah. So they've been rejected instantly rather than sort of being able to see a bit more than somehow. Yeah. Well, I think that um, there's always going to be like a family member or something waiting. Like, and like if you're close to death, like no, you're not ready. If you're not ready, but if you're ready, like they'll they'll help you. Yeah. And then others only get as far as the dark passageway, but then others proceed all the way into the light. Like we said before, but someone tells them or some feeling tells them you've got to go. You can't stay here. A lot of people have argued that NDEs are dreams, however, the occurrences of NDEs does not seem to be related to patients who have religious training or various beliefs. Many people with no prior interest of background or background in religion or supernatural report powerful NDEs after surviving grave medical crises. And the medical conditions that or the accidents that um, people go through are not subject. Like, you don't have to have a certain accident to experience an NDE. It could be people with trauma, like to the brain, or cardiac, cardiac arrest, or complications in childbirth. Okay. Over time, the scientific literature that attempts to explain NDEs has, as the result of physical changes in a stressed or dying brain has also grown. So these causes that they're trying to define include factors such as oxygen shortage, anaesthesia problems and the body's neurochemical response to trauma. A 1975 study conducted by psychiatrist Raymond Moody on around 150 patients who all claimed to have witnessed an NDE stated that an experience has nine steps. The exact description of these nine steps are number one, sudden peace and relief from pain. Number two, perception of a relaxing sound or otherworldly music. Number three, consciousness or a spirit ascending above the person's body, sometimes remotely viewing medical professionals' attempts at resuscitation. Number four, the person's spirit leaving the earthly realm and ascending rapidly through a tunnel of light into a universe of darkness. Number five, arriving at a brilliant heavenly place. And number six, being met by people of the light who are usually deceased friends and family in a joyous reunion. Number seven, meeting with a deity that is often perceived as their religious culture, who would have perceived them, or is an intense mass emitting pure love and light. Number eight, in the presence of this deity, 
the person undergoes an instantaneous life review, life review and understands how all the good and bad they have done has affected them and others. And finally, number nine, the person returns to their earthly body and life because either they are told that it is not their time to die or they are given a choice and may return for the benefit of their family and loved ones. So, I thought we should try and link the NDEs with the paranormal. So here are a few stories for them. Well, two, actually, but they're quite long. So, Sherry Lee Black, an artist and former Canadian Armed Forces music instructor, underwent three NDEs. Her first one was falling down the stairs as an infant. His second one was a ruptured appendix at age 10. And her third one was a car accident at age 29. Her first one was when she was a toddler. She was, her family had friends round and her family had locked their dog in the basement so that he didn't um, like mess with the party and she was meant to be in bed and she snuck down and unlocked the basement and went to play with the dog. So her and her dog were playing on the stairs and then she fell down the basement stairs and cracked her head open. She said that when she experienced this NDE, at the time she was aware that she was only a young toddler but she also felt this extra sense of power saying that there is a bigger hair and she is more than the body on her earth. She describes this as two senses of how she fits into the universe. She also went on to say that this experience felt like she was being hugged and that there was no pain, but a lady picked her up and held her and she felt really loved. She said that the light surrounding her was purple and blue and it made her feel safe. She also went on to say that she didn't know who this lady was but that she really liked her and that the lady told her she was going to be okay. Later on, Mrs Black saw a picture of this lady and learned that it was her grandmother who had died before she was born. She states that she had not seen any of these images prior to her NDE. At age 11, following this near-death experience, she had what some would describe as a poltergeist experience, but it was also considered recurrent spontaneous schizophrenia psychokinesis RSPK. yeah what you said um, so Cheryl Lee found her classroom too noisy with too many people and it was overstimulating an environment it was an overstimulating environment so she says that after this near-death experience the one where her, um, her appendix ruptured yeah she couldn't fit into like everyday life anymore and everything felt too much for her Maybe that was the stress of going through all that and potentially she was on some sort of medication that was causing her to not be able to deal with her normal day-to-day life as well as she used to, which is, as we know from the Poltergeist episode, what the scientific explanation for Poltergeists are. Yeah, so she she was seeing a counsellor because she's had two of these experiences now and she was 11 and she still couldn't cope. Um, and the school counsellor recommended that if she got upset, she should try and calm herself by drawing in her little sketch pad. However, her teacher didn't agree with this, and she found her lack of attention infuriating. During class one day, Cheryl was trying trying to calm herself down and was sketching with her, sketching in her notebook when her teacher told her off and slapped her across the face. She de- the teacher then snatched up the sketch pad and flung it across the room. After this, the drawing pad launched. The drawing pad picked itself up off the floor and launched itself into the air across the room and smashed into the teacher's face. 
Shadow also said that she's experienced slamming doors, opening and closing drawers, and at one point she hid terrified under the kitchen table as the lights flashed on and off, doors whipped open and shut, and other unnatural events raged on around her. So the electric, like the plugs and the lights would all also be affected when she would walk past them. Sounds very poltergeisty, not near-death experience. No, but she's experiencing poltergeist-like symptoms after she's had a near-death experience. But the scientist who studied her after it said that it was RSPK. Mm. Well, maybe she went to the other side and brought something back. She might have. I didn't even think of that. She could have, couldn't she? Cheryl said that she also saw auras of pe- around people. And she says that the people who had the brightest auras are the ones that who she was attracted to the most. Not like in just a physical way, but like her family, like they'd have brighter auras. She told her husband when she met him that he was the brightest light in the room and this forced her to notice him and go talk to him. What a pickup man. <laughs> so like I said about Cheryl experiencing electronic malfunctions, this is also common between other people who have experienced near-death experiences. Diane Cochran, who is president of IANS, which stands for International Association for Near-Death Studies, who YouTube page is where I found the video of Cheryl talking about her near-death experiences. Um, Diane retold how at one conference, this that was for near-death experiences, um, she recounted that the whole computer system in the hotel went down and she said that you put 400 experiences in a hotel together, something is going to happen. Do you do you think that was a common... I, I think that is just a coincidence. It happens and then she's just like, oh yeah, get on as we're fucking mad. We <laughs> make all this weird shit happen. Cheryl also reported being able to communicate with the dead after she had her near-death experiences. From what I know and what I have heard of or watched or seen, Having a near-death experience and then becoming, coming back with medium-like powers is not something I've heard of before. No. I've heard of people, like like you mentioned, where they've changed the way they, they, they've had radical life changes about, about themselves or, or whatever, but not came back and they've been, had clairvoyant powers. Well, maybe she already had it, but then once she went on that other plane, it, like, brought something, like, it like touched her to know how to use them because she's seen the dead yeah so she reported that she um, would speak to deceased people who she'd not known before so Cheryl reports having a lucid dream of someone who called himself Bob and it contained details that he where he identified himself as Robert Van D. Castle who was coincidentally a psychologist and dream researcher who died in 2014 he also appeared to her during another day and he asked her to convey his regard to his friends and associates. Carol Newell, who was a co-founder of Sacred Acoustics, confirmed that Black shared these experiences with, with her and added that I do not believe Cheryl would have heard of Bob's passing in a normal way, to my knowledge. She did not know who he was prior to telling me about him. She's just a messenger then. <laughs> yeah, like the ghost whisperer. Yeah, but no, not that important to say hello. Yeah, well, maybe they, he died suddenly or something. Yeah. 
it's interesting it's quite recent it's not like a historic case yeah yeah um and then another one this is about a girl named annabelle i thought you were gonna say about the doll <laughs> I, I don't imagine it's the same story <laughs> diagnosed at age four with chronic digestive disorder an eight-year-old annabelle beam experienced intense pain and frequent holiday visits her father kevin told the today show in america she was always so sweet and gracious. She wasn't making a big deal out of it, but she was suffering in silence. But the suffering started to overwhelm Annabelle. She says, I told my mom, Mama, I want to die and go to heaven with Jesus, where there is no more pain. I don't want to be in this much pain for the rest of my life. She goes on to say then, so I was committed to just giving up and sometimes whenever I couldn't sleep, I'd try and figure out what would happen if I did die. So then I decided my mum would come with me and my dad would stay and watch my sisters. I don't know why. I don't, like, I thought, shit, she's going to kill her mum. <laughs> this sounds like it's going to take a dive. <laughs> but Annabelle's mother refused to believe what she heard and she remembers thinking, that's not what she said. I, I won't have that my daughter said that. She doesn't know anything about giving up. She's a fighter. So in 2011... Annabelle said she fell 30 feet from a tree branch that cracked while she was sitting on it with her sister, Abby. She claims that after bumping her head three times on the way down and falling into a hollowed out base of the tree, she died and went to heaven. She says, it was really bright and I sat on Jesus' lap and he told me, whenever the firefighters get you out, there will be nothing wrong with you. Annabelle recalls, I asked him if I could stay and he said, no, I have plans you need to fulfill on earth that you cannot fulfill in heaven. So after about five hours, rescue crew were able to get Annabelle out of the tree. A few days later, she told, what? Five hours? The tree, the tree must have been a big one. <laughs> she fell in, like the hollows out, like the base of the tree. Fucking tree got fought not. <laughs> A few days later, she told her family about her experience. And her mum says she was very matter-of-a-fact. Very, this is what happened, not at all animated. She was just like, here are the facts. And then she stopped talking and looked out the window. (laughs) Her illness, so it caused her belly to swell. Mm. And she got eaten, was hard for her. And she had to have, like, feeding tubes and all that. Um... Her ab- abdomen returned to its normal size after the accident, and she was able to go to the bathroom without help. And for the first time after months of uncomfortable tube feedings, she could eat regular food. Her doctors began to wean her off her medications, and eventually she was released from her doctor's care. And her doctor even said, Jesus must have been with that little girl in that tree. Because there's nothing wrong with her. So Annabelle is now symptom free and she has gone from taking 10 daily medications to none. Her mum, her mum, <laughs> her mum said she fell 30 feet head first without any injuries or one bug bite. And she came out of the tree hours later wet, muddy and with scratches. Still pissed off the firefighters, took five hours. But she's well. So the tree, which is toppled over now due to weather, remains in the Bean family front yard beside a cross that Kevin, her dad, has carved into it after the accident. 
And he says, I'm glad that I didn't ever try and cut this down. I do think that this tree was actively involved in a miracle. His wife, who turned Annabelle's story into a book (laughs) called Miracles from Heaven. The book has now been turned into a film of the same name that stars Jennifer Garner in 2016. And his wife has agreed that this tree had a purpose and this tree was a vessel. Annabelle, who continues to climb trees, feels fortunate. And she says, most kids aren't ever healed. And so anytime I see that tree, I'm just so grateful and happy. She also reports that when she went to heaven, she saw her grandmother. And speaking to Fox News, she says, whenever I fell, I saw heaven and it was really bright. And then I saw Mimi, who had died a couple years back. And that's how I knew I was in heaven. She looked a little bit younger than she had when I last saw her. And speaking to Fox News again, she also s- described Jesus as he had a l- he had like a brown beard and brown hair and a long white robe. So what do you think? Is that a hoax? Do you think Cheryl's a hoax? Part of me wants to believe what's being said in the story. So if this girl was ill, which of course she will have been if there's doctors involved and stuff like that, she was yeah. on medication. So... That is believable, and how did she get better very quickly? Apparently, there was no cure as well. Like she was going to have to live with this forever. Like they went all around America to get second opinions. Yeah, so that is something in of itself. You know, what what happened yeah. there? How did that happen? There is questions unanswered there that maybe well doctors can't answer, yeah. so science can't answer it. Other parts of it. There's the age old write a book, make a film, speak to Fox News, apparently, like 10 times. And the Today Show. And the Today Show. <laughs> so, I don't know. I guess to spreading the message that miracles can happen, reassuring people who are religious. But you have to make money about it. But at the same time, why wouldn't you? Well, that's what I was going to say. There's no way to prove that these are true or false. And. We could say that their family would have family financial worries, but we could also, they might not have financial worries. We don't know their life before or after. Well, obviously we know it after they've got a book deal and a film, but we don't know the situation before. Yeah. You see, it's... I don't know. I'm a bit in, in part about that one because something happened to that girl and she got better she just instantly got better how does that happen when it's an incurable disease she was just going to have to live with the, with the pain yeah but the disease wasn't life threatening but it was also incurable true but it got cured it just went away it yeah. just disappeared yeah. so obviously something otherworldly to ourselves has intervened there do you think it was Jesus though I don't know. I don't think so. Reason I don't think so is she gave a very, very stereotypical description. I was going to say that, like she said, he's got a brown beard, brown hair, and a long robe. That is literally what we all think of now because of the like the stereotype of Jesus. Yeah, if you see any illustrated biblical works yeah. or cartoons that where Jesus is involved, like educational type ones, then oh, Family Guy, <laughs> Family Guy, then yeah. That is the stereotypical view of Jesus, I'd say. So I don't know. Maybe that was sort of an outside perception. Maybe 
it's tough. I, I want to pick a side, but I can't pick a side. I, I don't get, like you said, I don't get why the firemen also took that long to get her out the tree. <laughs> it must have been that particular tree, the way it was, and it, maybe something fell on top of it, but then it's a fucking tree. You've got to move some branches, and that's going to take five hours, is it? Why didn't the sister get hurt as well? Oh, yeah, she was sat on the same branch. Yeah, yeah. What do you think about Cheryl, though? The one who has RSPK and has had three near-death experiences? She needs to be more careful. One of them, she hit the hit like a big truck head-on. And she had a dog in the car. She definitely needs to be more careful. I know. How... With the other story that you told, um, I forgot her first name, her second name was Black, wasn't it? Cheryl Lee Black, yeah. With Cheryl Black. I thought it was interesting how I mentioned it when you just told it, but she got like these extra mediumship style yeah, yeah. type powers after the event. But within both stories, did they not both see family members? Did you say they both saw their grandmother? Weirdly enough. So something that I think supports the NDE phenomenon, although they might see like the same caliber of people when they do pass over to this other side uncles, aunties, grandmothers, parents whatever it might be all those people are individual to you, so obviously your grandmother is not someone else's like someone on the other side of the world, it's not their grandmother yeah, and mostly your grandmother is going to be the one who's passed away when you're a young age Yeah. so how is it that it's their sort of uh, personality or their, obviously Everyone's different. There are going to have little ways of doing things, little ways of speaking, the mannerisms, yeah. that type of thing. How is it that, yes, you encounter the same caliber of people when you're in having an NDE, but those people are true representations from what we've heard of themselves? But maybe they aren't. Maybe it's like just something in your brain that you expect them to be there because you know they've passed away. So maybe it's just something in your brain trying to reassure you that you're okay. And they're not really there. A mental comfort blanket. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. But, like, you just obviously assume that your grandmother would be there because she, she's passed away. Like, I would think my granddad would have come and get me. Like, I'd hope he did anyway. <laughs> I presume if not. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's one of the more interesting topics we've looked at in terms of, yes, there is a scientific element to it, and people are trying to explain it. But they can't explain everything. Yeah. So there's parts of it they, they can pretty much tell you why something's happened, when it happens, because of the blood flow to the brain, the brain activity, when the body shuts down, how long yeah. you've got of brain activity left, that type of thing. But they can't explain the experiences of those people who have had the NDEs. Yeah. So, like you mentioned, looking outside from outside the body and, and describing tools that were used surgically yeah. on them while they were dead like how how yeah how would you know like you train to be a doctor don't you you don't you don't know like if you don't know if you've never trained you're never gonna see like oh he used this type of instrument or yeah and i'd imagine for the most part by the time you get into the theater you're under whatever anesthetic you're under anyway or if it's a traumatic event you might you're probably unconscious anyway yeah so you wouldn't have seen it on the way in, I'm but, thinking. But then again, they said it could be the the anaesthetic wasn't 
administrate it properly and you are you're there like you you're sort of knocked out but you're not you're just like numbed kind of yeah so that might explain away some but i don't think it explains away all because i'd imagine something tells me even if you weren't fully anesthetized yeah drugged <laughs> yeah even if you weren't fully under yeah I'd imagine passing away and then coming back to life is a much bigger experience than thinking, yeah, yeah I've seen this type of drill on the way in or I've seen this type yeah. of scalpel on the way in. Yeah, because they probably wouldn't even get the tools out anyway until you were under because they know it'd scare you. Yeah, I'd imagine anyway. It might be wrong. Yeah. Um. So what should you, like, does that settle it then? you think they're scientific or do you think they aren't? No, I don't think scientific. I think... Some of them might fall under the category of, like we mentioned. Oh yeah. I think some of them may fall under herd mentality, um, and maybe like sort of a misunderstanding of hallucinogen, like hallucinations yeah. while under anaesthetic. Maybe. I or think some just... of, some of them may fall under that, but uh, there'll be some out there, and I'm hundred percent. Oh no, hundred percent. That's very bold. <laughs> I'm very confident that there will be some real experiences, yeah. some real NDEs, which will take the body or the mind or our spirits or whatever it might be onto a different place that we don't know about or we sort of have a guess that's there but we, we can't prove it's there. Well, yeah, I think that our souls, when we do pass away anyway, probably do move on. Mm-hmm. I don't think like our body, like our first, our body is like, our main goal i think that our soul does live on and we've said in in the past like people see like there are people who've passed away and then they've been measured before they died like weighed before they died and then when they've passed like their soul has like exited them and they've lost weight so i think that your soul does go somewhere but then i also think maybe it went like there's a plan for all of us so maybe our time isn't there but like our body goes our body goes into like fight or flight and it's trying to soothe us so we're not panicking Yeah. at the end of our life. But I said at the start I've got a theory. Yeah, go on. And it sort of links into NDEs, sort of doesn't. But my theory is that we don't know when we die. So we will go on our regular day-to-day lives. But... Every now and then, I think everyone has their little experiences where you think, oh, fucking hell, I was like a couple of seconds yeah, away from dying yeah. there. Maybe, maybe, maybe your car, like, nearly got into a car accident. You missed a step or something. Yeah, you nearly fall down the stairs. It, it could absolutely anything. But you think, oh, that, that was close. Something could have happened there. That could have went really bad. Yeah. My theory is that maybe it did go bad and we just don't know about it. Like, we just carry on living. You know, uh, and then... It's sort of like how our, we want our lives to carry on, but subliminally, even though everyone, I know, I know in an ideal world, if you think you're controlling the, the path of your life, it'll yeah. be great and it'll go exactly how you want it to go. Yeah. But I think subconsciously, we don't know we're controlling the path of our lives, so it can still feel shit. Yeah. If this makes any sense at all. But what I'm saying is, you, you might already be dead, we just don't know it. So we could be dead now. Yeah. Could be. See, I'm different to you. I think you know when you're gonna die. I think you'll just get this feeling that day, or like certain things. Like you're not meant to die. Like, 
wasn't there like a thing that said that Michael Jackson was meant to be on the plane on that at nine eleven and he wasn't? Like he he missed his alarm or something. I think you like when you die, that is set for you. You are meant to die. You will know. Like he subliminally, I subliminally slept in. On not on purpose, but something was telling him you need to sleep in. Is that what happened to us last Friday when we both had alarms set and neither of them went off? Oh my god, yeah. They could be maybe like because you would you were driving to work. Maybe something could have happened. So we both had to stay asleep, so you would have left a bit later. I think that happened. Maybe, yeah. Because that was weird, because we both have alarms. Yeah. And I always wake up. I do not sleep through an alarm. Yeah, and we never, like, even with alarms on, we always wake up anyway. Like, yeah. We're not, like, heavy sleepers, really. Yeah, because I was lying in bed, and I was just sort of, like, dozing in and out, and I was thinking to myself... My alarm it's, hasn't gone off. So it, it's been light for quite a while. <laughs> Usually, I feel like my alarm should have went off by now, but I don't want to check my phone because I, I, during the night, if I check my phone, it, it, it wakes you up. Yeah, the light of it wakes me up, so I sort of like avoid it if I can. Yeah. But yeah, obviously, it got to a certain point, and there was a lot of cars outside moving past, so I thought I'd check what time it is. Couldn't rush out. Yeah, because she went, shit, it's eight o'clock. I was like, oh. That's normally my time that I get up when I'm working from home, though, to be fair, but my alarm didn't go off. <laughs> so, I like I said, I think that when you die, you know you're going to die. So, like, with near-death experiences, you think you're going to die, so your brain goes into, like, this autopilot or plays this, like, we... Like, when you're on a, on a game and you... If you go down this path, it's going to happen. So I think when our brain... Preset programme, like I mentioned. Yeah, I think that's what it is. I think our body thinks, shit, I'm going to die now, so... Right. Yeah. I can see where you're coming from. Because normally I believe in more spirits things, but once I've like said it, and I don't think it's actually your grandmother or whoever, I think it is just you go into this frame thinking that they're going to be there because you've heard stories about that. I wonder if this might be a bit creepy, actually. If it's not your family member, whoever it might be, it's just like there's some it's this like shape shift and bounce yeah, into the afterlife. Like the Grim Reaper or something. Yeah, so they sort of like they take the form of your loved ones that you are expecting. To comfort you. I need to tell you, yeah, come on, you can come in. Yeah. Or no. Go back go back to being a lad. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's that. I like that idea. I think it's, it's that. a shape shift and bouncer. <laughs> That's what it is. So I think that's a good place to end yeah, it. Yeah, shapeshift and bouncers. That's who you meet when you nearly die. A shapeshift and bouncer. So thank you very much for listening. If you have had any near death experiences, it'd be very interesting to hear if you've had if you've gained any medium like abilities or if you've had any like sort of encounters with loved ones. If out of body experiences. Yeah, if if you sort of Experience something that you know you shouldn't have. Yeah. You can let us know on acrossthecemetery at gmail.com or you can get in touch on social media. So we're on TikTok and Twitter at AXTheCemetery and we're on Instagram at acrossthecemetery. And if you'd like to leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to, listen to us on, we would really appreciate that and it would really help the podcast. Thank you for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye.